وأقول في القرآن ما جاءت به آياته فهو الكريم المنزل وأقول قال الله جل جلاله والمصطفى الهادي ولا أتأول الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على عبد الله ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. We begin as always with the praise of Allah Azza wa Jal. We ask Allah Azza wa Jal to exalt the mention and grant peace to our messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and to his family and his companions. Inshallah ta'ala we're continuing on with the rights of the children. And in this episode inshallah ta'ala we're going to look at the parents obligations when the child is born. In the previous episode, we'd spoken about some of the obligations of the parents prior to the birth of the child. And inshallah ta'ala, now we move on to the obligations of the parents at the time that the child is born. And the very first one that we're going to talk about is choosing a noble and good name for that child. Al-Imam Muslim narrates in his Sahih from the hadith of Ibn Umar. Anhumah, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Inna ahabba asma'ikum ilallah abdullahi wa abdurrahman. Indeed, the most beloved of the names that you choose for your children to Allah is Abdullah and Abdurrahman. And this is the most authentic hadith on the topic of naming the child. And this hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar that the most beloved of all of the names to Allah are Abdullah and Abdul Rahman. And that's interesting why you find that among the scholars of the of hadith, generally speaking, that the overwhelming majority that you see among the scholars of hadith, you see that they have the kunya, the name Abu Abdullah or Abu Abdul Rahman. The, that they have named their child either uh, Abdullah or Abdul Rahman. Because these are the two names that are the most beloved names to Allah Azza wa Jal. But it's not obligatory that you should name your child Abdullah or Abdurrahman. And there's no doubt that any of the names that have ubudiyah to Allah Azza wa Jal, they're praiseworthy. Uh, even though there isn't an authentic hadith in this regard, there is a hadith which is uh, mushtahir, it's famous, but it's not authentic. In fact, some of the scholars, they said about it, la asla lahu, it doesn't even have an origin that they said that, that it's very famous people say, or they mention a hadith and they say that the most beloved names of Allah are the names that contain ubudiyah or hamd, the names that contain abd or the names that contain hamd like hamid or hamad or mahmud and so on. But this is not an authentic hadith. In fact, it doesn't have any origin as a hadith of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But as a general principle, there's no doubt that the names that contain Ubudiyah to Allah Azza wa Jal, these are, these are beautiful names. Uh, but the two that are specifically mentioned in the hadith are Abdullah and Abdul Rahman, the servant of Allah, the servant of the most merciful. Now, it's very important when a parent does choose a name that contains Ubudiyah, like Abd, it's very, very important that the parent is careful to make sure that that name is a name of Allah Azza wa Jal. So we do see that because sometimes people look for rare and unusual names, that sometimes what people might do is they might choose a name that either people famously say it's a name of Allah, but it's not doesn't really have a strong proof, or 
uh, a name that people it might be a rare name but they they want to choose that name and they put abd in front of it and it might not be a name of allah so just to give you a simple example ar-rashid there's not really a strong evidence to say that ar-rashid is one of the names of allah azawajal in fact the hadith that mentions it in jami' at-tirmidhi is a hadith that is weak it's not an authentic hadith the first part is authentic but the part that mentions ar-rashid as a name of allah is not authentic so it's not befitting to name your child abdul rashid because of the, the fact that that might contain attributing ubudiyah, servitude and worship to other than Allah since that name isn't, it's difficult to prove or, or it's not from the names that there's a clear proof that is from the names of Allah so it's better to avoid those kind of things and no doubt to, to avoid all of the names that contain ubudiyah to other than Allah you know, in a clear sense this is even more severe so from this are even the names that contain things like Ghulam Muhammad, Ghulam Muhammad and Ghulam Ali and things like that which people name which, which is close to that meaning like the servant of Muhammad or the servant of Ali because even though this word Ghulam is not the same as the word Abd but subhanAllah it gives that impression of servitude to other than Allah servitude to the Prophet Muhammad or servitude to Ali or so on and so forth so we see names like this and of course the Arabs in the time of Jahiliyyah they used to name with the Ubudiyyah to other than Allah like Abdul Shams and Abdul Uzza and Abdul Lat they used to name the, the servant of Al Uzza and the servant of Al Lat Abdul Muttalib and so on but on the topic of Abdul Muttalib there's an interesting point that we can bring and that is that there is no harm in mentioning or keeping in your lineage a name which is haram in a factual sense like mentioning in your lineage as the Prophet وسلم, said المطلب, I am the grandson of Abdul Muttalib and Abdul Muttalib is a haram name it's not allowed to have it contains ubudiyah to other than Allah it contains uh, attributing servitude and worship to other than Allah but the Prophet here is mentioning factually from his lineage so we don't we don't wipe out the lineage by taking away the names of our forefathers that were haram rather we keep the names in the lineage that belong to our forefathers we keep those from a factual point of view as preserving the lineage not to say that those names are necessarily permissible or not but as for our names or the names of those who are alive the Prophet would change the names that were forbidden and he would even change the names that are disliked he would even change the names that are disliked and we're going to come to a discussion on that inshallah in a moment our next hadith is a hadith that is narrated uh, from in, in uh, Sunan Abi Dawood from the hadith of Abu Wahbin al-Jushami radiyallahu anhu the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he said تسموا بأسماء الأنبياء وأحب الأسماء إلى الله عبد الله وعبد الرحمن وأصدقها حارث وهمام وأقبحها حرب ومرة This hadith, some of the scholars, they, they said that it is hasan it reaches the level of being hasan, of being a fair hadith when you add to it, uh, the hadith it has a weakness in the chain but when you add to it a supporting narration that it comes to the level of being hasan and Allah knows best and it is that the Prophet said, Give your children the names of the Anbiya. Give your children the names of the Anbiya. And we know that the Prophet وسلم, he named one of his children Ibrahim radiallahu anhu who Of course, all of the male children of the Prophet وسلم, passed away when they were just infants. 
uh, but he had named one of his children Ibrahim. So there is an authentic sunnah for naming your children with the names of the prophets. Now here's an interesting question, what about the names of the angels? And the scholars differed about that, but the, I believe the stronger opinion is that you shouldn't name your children with the names of the angels like Jibril or Mikal or so on and so on, because this was not known from the Sahaba And if there was good in it, the Sahaba would have raced each one another to have you know, taken that good and to have implemented that good. So we don't see the Sahaba taking the name Jibreel or Mikal. So we believe that it's, that's the correct opinion, that, that the parent, they shouldn't name their child with the name of the angels. As for the names of the prophets, then this is authentic, that you should name your children with the names of the prophets. Uh, and the most beloved of the names to Allah are Abdullah and Abdul Rahman. And the most truthful of them are Harith and Hammam. So again, this is mentioned in this hadith, and we said that some of the scholars, they said the hadith is fair. And it is that the most truthful of names are Harith and Hammam. Harith, why is it the most truthful of names? Harith is the one who sows a seed. It said the one who earns. It said uh, it's used, the word Harith is used for what a person earns, what a person brings or what a person earns. But in its origin, it's the one who sows a seed. And in reality, everyone on this earth is like that. You plant seeds and you reap the fruits of what you sow for good or for evil. So everyone can be authentically called Harith. I mean, like every person in the world is a Harith. Everyone is, you know, putting things, planting seeds and reaping the fruits from that, either good or bad, either good actions and good deeds or either bad. And as for Hammam, then it comes from Al-Himma, which is a person's concern, or what a person is preoccupied with. And in reality, everyone is preoccupied. Everyone is preoccupied either with the matters of the dunya or preoccupied with the matters of the akhirah. And as for the most uh, hated or the most aqbahuha, uh, the most the most horrible of them, being harb and murrah, then the Prophet used to change the names that contained bitterness and contained uh, negative, like someone who was called ugly, for example, uh, or someone who was called harb, and harb is uh, related to war. Uh, and it's said that because of what war contains from, you know, uh, killing and slaughter, and transgression and vulm and so on in many cases and murrah because it contains bitterness and any of the names the Prophet saw that were ugly or that contained uh, negative meanings towards the person that was given them the Prophet وسلم, he would change those names and an example we can give of how the Prophet changed the traditions of the Arabs in Jahiliyyah. And this episode we're going to talk about in the Aqiqah, inshallah, how the Prophet he brought to us in his Sunnah a change from the ways of Jahiliyyah, from the ways of the pre-Islamic times. Is And one of the examples of this is how the Prophet named Al-Hasan and Al-Husayn, radiallahu anhumah. Because the tradition of the Arabs was to name the children with bitter, and scary the boys with bitter, scary, and you know, terrifying names, so that when their enemies would hear them in battle, the enemy, even the name of the the person would scare the enemy. You know, that to find out that this commander or this general is coming and he has a terrifying name, that you know, his name is the slaughterer or something like that. It would it would 
terrify the enemies. And this was the tradition of the Arabs to name their children with scary names and names that were quite bitter and harsh and severe. And the Prophet changed this and he named his grandchildren Al-Hasan and Al-Husayn. Both come from Al-Husayn, beauty, from beauty and goodness. So it's a, it's, a, it's a change. And in Islam, we don't have that tradition of naming the boys with you know, terrifying, scary names. Rather, we choose the best of names for all of our children, the boys and the girls. And there's nothing wrong with, and in fact, from the Sunnah of the Prophet to choose a beautiful name for your sons, not just for your daughters. Like the Prophet chose the name Al-Hasan and Al-Husayn. As for changing the names, then it's narrated by Al-Bukhari in Al-Adab, Al-Adab Al-Mufrad outside of his Sahih, from the great Imam Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib. His father came to the Prophet and, he, and the Prophet said to him, Masmuk, what's your name? He said, my name is Hazan. And Hazan, it means shidda, it means severity and harshness. He said, my name is harshness. The Prophet said to him, Qala anta sahl. He said to him, rather, your name is Sahel. You should be called Sahel. You shouldn't be called Hazan. Hazan is severity and harshness and toughness and roughness. But the father of Ibn al-Musayyib, he said, قَالَ لَا أُغَيِّرُ سَمَّانِيهِ أَبِي He said, I'm not going to change a name that my father gave to me. So my father gave me this name. I don't want to change this name. And so he didn't change it. As the Prophet recommended to him, he didn't change the name. The great Imam, his son, who was a great Imam, Sa'id ibn Musayyib, rahimahullah ta'ala, from the imma of the Tabi'een, the great Imams of the Tabi'een, he said, قال, قال ibn al-Musayyib, فما زالت الحزونة فينا بعد. He said that this harshness and severity remains in our family until this day. Subhanallah. That, that is that the father's name, and he, he, didn't, he didn't choose to change the name like the Prophet said to Sahil, which is ease and softness and just being easy going and gentle. He didn't change it and saw that attribute, that characteristic remained within, even within the family, that the family who had that name, that they had that name hasn't. And it remained that harshness and that severity and that roughness and toughness remained within them. And it's true that a person has a share, a portion of their name. A person has a portion of their name and a name affects a person. So a child, we should choose for our children the best of names and the most beloved of names to Allah Azza wa Jal. And the matter is one where there is flexibility in terms of the, the names. Even though the most beloved of names are Abdullah and Abdul Rahman, there's nothing wrong with somebody choosing a different name. And from the best of the names are the names of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. And a lot of people ask about, for girls, what, what names then? Because here we had Abdullah and Abdurrahman. Of course, we could take that and we could use the word Emma for a girl instead of Abd. But generally speaking, do we have any specific uh, evidence for the names of the girls or for what is the best of the names of the girls? Just to look at, simply look at the, the, the mothers of the believers, look at the daughters of the Prophet, and look at the names of the female companions. And these are, there are beautiful, beautiful uh, names. And look at the meaning also to make sure that you are happy with the meaning. And one of the things I believe is, is very sad in this day and age 
is that the prevalence of these naming websites where they give you false meanings of the name. For example, they mention a name and they mention all kinds of words. It means hope and love and happiness and joy. And when you go back to the Arabic dictionary, none of those meanings are found within that name. And these websites are just set up to, to get traffic. So people go on them and it says the meanings of the names and they go and look at their names and say, oh, my name means this. And none of it is authentic. Um, so it's very important that you, you check the real meaning of the word. And also, you know, there are some some negative things people do with names. Sometimes people choose random words from the Quran or they choose names that don't make sense or they choose names that, you know, maybe are culturally common. But when you go back to the meaning of that name in the Arabic language, it doesn't have a nice, it doesn't have a nice meaning. And sometimes people give their children the names of the disbelievers uh, and they, they choose names that are names from the names of the, the kuffar, from the names that the disbelievers choose and all of this is not, it's not, that's not what you want to give your child to start in life. The Prophet ﷺ, he said, Whoever resembles a people is one of them. So we don't want to start our children off with this kind of, with this kind of culture and this kind of habit. We want to start our children off with the best start in life. And from the best start in life that you can give to your child is to choose a name that is beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a name that gives them a Muslim identity, that makes them... And I know people want sometimes want their children to blend in in the non-Muslim societies, but that's not what Islam encourages us to do. Islam encourages us to be distinct, to have a Muslim identity. So give your children a beautiful Muslim name uh, that uh, has a beautiful meaning and be careful about the meaning. Check the meaning, uh, check it reliably. And even from that is that you could ask a friend of yours, if you don't speak the Arabic language, you could ask a friend, uh, to look up the meaning who speaks Arabic, to look up the meaning in the Arabic dictionaries, not to go to one of these naming websites that just mentions meanings for names that are not accurate. But there are some accurate resources where you can go and you can look up the real meaning of the name, uh, inshallah ta'ala, from the reliable sources. And that's important because at the end of the day, it's, it's a once in a lifetime choice you're going to make for your child. So it's really important that you think about a, a good name for your children, whether they are boys or whether they're girls. We come on to our next uh, obligation of the parent or one of the next rights of the child is the right of the aqiqah, the obligation of the parent to give their child an aqiqah. So we're going to hear this from the hadith of the Prophet to explain exactly what this involves. So we're going to start with a hadith that's narrated by a Tirmidhi and Ibn Majah from the hadith of our mother Aisha radiallahu anha anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama amarahum anil ghulami shatan mukafi'atan our mother Aisha radiallahu anha, she narrates from the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that he commanded for a boy to shah. And the shah is a general word for the, uh, the sheep and that which is similar like the goats. And it can be a sheep and it can be a goat and it can be male or female because in some of the, in some of the other ahadith it's mentioned dhukranan it doesn't matter whether they are male or female. Uh, so they could be sheep or they could be goats. But you do have to bear in mind the, that they can't have any defects. They can't have any illnesses or defects. And they have to be at the minimum age for a sacrifice to be valid. So for a, a sheep, this would be six months. And for a goat, this would be a year. 
uh, of age it said a year of age for both but it should be and it should be of the age which is acceptable in the terms of the islamic sacrifice so they are shatan for the boy and one shah for the girl one shah for the girl and as for the description shatan mukafiatan they should be two sheep that are mukafiatan then this means that they should be mutaqaribatan they should be near to one another similar to one another so what does it mean to be similar? It said similar in age. It said uh, similar in the way that they look or of a similar type, two of them that are similar to each other. Uh, and this is from among the better things that have been said or among the stronger things that have been said regarding mukafiatan, that they should be mutaqaribatan fissini wa surah. They should be similar to one another in age and, and quite similar to one another in, in, in the sense that you didn't pick, you know, one sheep and one goat. It should be like, similar to each other in the way that they look, similar to each other in the age, uh, if that is easy for a person. And otherwise, if they sacrifice two sheep, then this is, inshallah, sufficient for them. And as for the girl, it is only one, it's only one sheep. And it is permissible for someone else to do that on behalf of the parent, because the Prophet ﷺ, as we are going to hear in subsequent ahadith, he performed the aqiqah for Al-Hasan and al Hussein, And Salman ibn Amir, Tabbi radiyallahu anhi narrated the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said ma'al ghulami aqiqa fa'ahriqu anhu dama wa amitu anhu al-adha the hadith is in Bukhari uh, in Sahih al-Bukhari that Salman ibn Amir al-Tabbi radiyallahu anhi said that with the birth of a boy comes an aqiqa and here we've heard in the hadith of Aisha that it's for a boy or a girl so you should spill blood and you should spill blood, I, you should uh, sacrifice an animal to Allah Azza wa Jal on behalf of that child. And you should remove the harm from him. And we're going to talk about removing the harm, what that means, removing the dirt or the filth or the harm. And we're going to talk about that when we come to shaving the head and so on. And this is a hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari, which further explains. And we also have a hadith, and this hadith is in, in uh, Jami' al-Tirmidhi and Sunan ibn Majah, from the hadith of Samurah ibn Jundub, that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, كُلُّ غُلَامٍ مُرْتَهَنٌ بِأَقِيقَتِهِ تُذْبَحُ عَنْهُ يَوْمَ السَّابِعِ وَيُحْلَقُ رَأْسُهُ وَيُسَمَّى He said, every child, here it says boy, uh, here it says uh, the male child, and this applies, inshallah, to the male and the female child, this first part, that every child is held in pledge for their aqiqah or by their aqiqah. So it's a matter of importance. And the, the example given is the example of the rahan. Uh, when you uh, leave something in a, as a pledge for, for something, for example, uh, you leave something as a security, or we sometimes you call it a mortgage or a pledge. So it's a matter of importance. And the Prophet explained here that the sacrifice should be carried out on the seventh day and the head should be shaved and the name should be given. So the first thing we, we want to ask ourselves the question here is what does it mean the seventh day? What, is it, what does the seventh day mean? So the scholars differed over what this means. But uh, An-Nawawi, rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentioned that it includes the date in which, or the day in which the child is born. And the scholars have a lot of 
difference about it, whether is it before the zawal or after the zawal and what if the child is born at the night. But we're just going to make it simple for the purpose of this and we're going to take the example that was given by Sheikh Ibn Thaymeen. He said, so if the child is born on the Saturday, he said, Rahimullah ta'ala, if the child is born on the Saturday, then the aqiqah should be done on the Friday. And that's the seventh day, including the day that the child is born. And inshallah, if it is done before that, or if it is done after that, then it is valid. However, the sunnah is for it to be done on the seventh day. And it's not right for a person to be easy about, like easy going, just say, oh, I'll do it on the eighth day, I'll do it on the tenth day, I'll do it on the third day. Let a person try to do it on the seventh day. And if they can't do it on the seventh day, then there is a narration from our mother, Aisha radiallahu anha, which indicates uh, that if it can't be done on the seventh day, she said, uh, she said, if it can't be done on the seventh day, let it be done on the 14th day. And if it can't be done on the 14th day, then let it be done on the 21st day. However, there is no harm if a person, as in the, it is accepted from a person, if they do it before or after. But Al-Imam Al-Nawawi, uh, and others, they mentioned that if it is before, and they mentioned the consensus of this, that if it is before the child is born, it's not accepted. It's not an aqiqah. It's just shat lahm. It's just uh, a, a sacrifice. It's just meat, nothing more than that. If it's done before the child is born. However, we should try to follow the sunnah in this. Try to go for the seventh day. What Allah makes easy. Try to aim for the seventh day. But if a person can't, and they then better they go for the 14th, and if they can't, then the 21st, and if they can't do that, then whatever day is easy for them after the child is born, and it will be acceptable, insha'Allah ta'ala. And we hear some other etiquettes in this hadith, like the shaving of the head, and we're going to come to that, insha'Allah, and the giving of the name. Now, there's no harm in the parent deciding the name before that, or discussing the name before the child is born, but it's nice if you officially make the name on that seventh day. And that's the time that it becomes official. And before that, if you can, you can keep it like that. We are, you know, we're thinking about naming the child, or we, we've we, we've kind of settled on naming the child. But let it be official on the day of the aqiqah, on the seventh day, as from the sunnah. Again, if a person names the child before that, there is no harm in that, inshallah ta'ala, as long as the name is a name which is permissible in Islam. And our next question with relation to the aqiqah is, what do we do with the meat? So here the scholars differed with regard to the aqiqah meat and some of them, they held the opinion that it is the same as the udhiyah, that it's the same as the sacrifice that is made on the, in the days of Hajj, the sacrifice that is made on the day of Eid, uh, Eid al-Adha. And they said that this is the same, it's like that, the same rulings apply. And others said there's no specific mention of what you should do with the aqiqa meat so the matter is easy for you and you do what is easy for you if you wish to do the same like the udhiyah in hajj and you wish to give a third to the poor and you wish to keep a third for yourself and you wish to give a third to your friends and your neighbors that are around you there is no harm in that and if you wish to do something different with that there is also no harm in it inshallah because the, the intended uh, the intention behind the aqiqa is to spill the blood as a qurban, as a means of getting near to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's not necessarily the distribution of the meat, but if the person gives some in sadaqah, then that is even better, inshallah ta'ala. And there is no harm whether they give it cooked or they give it raw 
uh, there is no harm in that. But they should look at what is more beneficial for people and what is more, inshallah, easy for people. So a person looks at what is going to benefit people more and what is easy for them. And there is no specific ruling that it should be given as meat or it should be given cooked or it should be given with something or without something. There is no specific ruling on this, inshallah. And a person should do whatever is easy for them uh, and Allah Azza knows best. Abdullah ibn Buraida, uh, and this hadith is in Sunan Abi Dawood, he said, قَالَ سَمِعْتُ أَبِي بُرَيْدَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ يَقُولُ كُنَّا فِي الْجَاهِلِيَّةِ إِذَا وُلِدَ لِأَحَدِنَا غُلَامٍ ذَبَحَ شَاتًا وَلَطَخَ رَأْسَهُ بِدَمِهَا فَلَمَّا جَاءَ اللَّهُ بِالْإِسْلَامِ كُنَّا نَذْبَحُ شَاتًا وَنَحْلِقُ رَأْسَهُ uh, Abdullah ibn Buraida, he narrates from his father Buraida radiallahu an. He said that we used to, in the time of Jahiliyyah, if one of us had a child, we would sacrifice an animal and we would pour the blood of that animal over the child's head. And when Allah Azza wa Jal brought us the religion of Islam, we used to sacrifice the animal and we would shave the child's head and we would put saffron or yeah, saffron as, a, as like a perfume over the head of the child. And I brought this hadith here and the hadith is as we said in Sunan Abi Dawood as evidence that this is something that was done in the time of Jahiliyyah but the Prophet kept the ruling of the aqiqah but changed the way that it was done. So in the time of Jahiliyyah, they would sacrifice the animal and then they would pour blood upon the head of the child. And this is something which is dirty. The blood that comes from the animal that is sacrificed, the blood, the blood that comes out from the animal, that is to be drained from the animal. It's not supposed to be uh, used for something. And it's the blood that we're not allowed to eat and we're not allowed to use. It's, it's uh, taken from the animal and it's spilled from the animal. So to, to pour that over the head of the child, that's what they used to do in the time of Jahiliyyah. But the aqiqah was kept. And that's why Ibn Qayyim, ta'ala, he said, uh, When Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qad aqqa anil hasan wal husayn wa fa'alahu ashabuhu wa ja'alaha ha'ulai min amril jahiliyyah. He said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam performed the aqiqah for al-hasan and husayn And his companions did the same. So it's not right that certain people said that this is purely a jahili custom and it shouldn't be it shouldn't be uh, done or it shouldn't be um, that it shouldn't be carried out in Islam it's from the sunnah in Islam but in a different way to the way that it was done in jahiliyyah he said wal aqiqatu sunnatun ar rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa qad qala al ghulam murtahan bi aqiqatihi wa huwa isnadun jayyid yarwihi abi yarwihi abu hurairah an an nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ibn qayyim he mentioned this in his amazing book on uh, the, child, the, the rulings of the, the newborn child, Tuhfat uh, al-Mawdud. And Ibn Qayyim, he said, the aqiqah is a sunnah from the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he, the Prophet sallallahu had authentically said that the child is held in pledge by his aqiqah. And it is an authentic, it's a good chain. It's narrated by Abi Hurairah from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So what does it mean that the child is held in pledge? What does that actually mean? So there are different statements from the scholars about what this means. Some of the scholars, they said it means that he, if the child dies as a child, he will not intercede for his parents unless they did his aqiqah. And it will not hurt the child. But the parent will 
uh, the, the parent will not receive the intercession of the child uh, if, if the parent did not do the aqiqah. If the parent was negligent, if the parent could not afford the aqiqah or something like that, then inshallah ta'ala, we, we, don't, uh, we hope that the parent will not be held to account for this. And the aqiqah is sunnah mu'akkada. It's not from the wajibat. It's from the highly recommended sunnah and not from the obligations. However, that the parent would be one of the opinions of the scholars about held in pledge is that the parent will not get the intercession of the child. It's also said that the aqiqah will be a reason to protect the child from the shaitan. And that the child will not be as well protected from the shaitan if the aqiqah is not done. And this is an evidence, uh, an evidence that we can also further put forward for the, uh, the concept that the parent's actions and the parents, what they do when the child is born and before the child is born can have consequences for the child. We explain the difference between this and the issue of that nobody will bear the burden of another person. Uh, we, we said that the child will not bear the sin, but that doesn't mean the child will not have consequences of what the parents do. So the parents are negligent regarding the aqiqah, there could be an effect upon the child, but the child will not carry a sin from it. But there can be an effect upon the child. And likewise, we mentioned the etiquettes of intimacy. The parents don't follow that. There can be also an effect upon the child. But the child will not be blamed for that or held to account for that or punished for that. But ultimately, that doesn't mean that they won't have certain tests and consequences in their life because of what the parents decide to do. And that shows us how important it is that we take our responsibility as parents. Al-Imam ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentioned three among the benefits of the aqiqah, he mentioned three things. He said that it is a fidya. And it's a uh, like what happened with Ismail and Ibrahim, that Allah Azza wa Jal accepted in place of the sacrifice of, uh, of Ismail that Ibrahim was commanded to do, alayhim uh, salatu salam, that in place of that, in place of that, uh, the sacrifice was done, so it became a it became a fidya, it became a, an expiation or an alternative. And likewise, uh, what the Prophet mentioned regarding being held in pledge, and likewise from the benefits that Ibn al-Qayyim mentioned is that it is a qurban, it is an act of nearness to Allah as soon as the child is born. Look at what an excellent start that child uh, receives to have such a thing done that as soon as they are born, in the seventh day that they are born. So it is a means of nearness to Allah Azza wa Jal as soon as the child is born. And that sets the child, you know, sets out what the parent wants from the child in terms of religion and nearness to Allah. And it also, you know, sort of from the point of the child, it gives them the best possible start. As for the shaving of the head, and that's the next point that we're going to come to, we have a hadith on Ali ibn Abi Talib radiyallahu anhu annahu qal aqqa rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam anil hasan bishah wa qala ya Fatima ihliqi ra'sahu wa tasaddaqi bizinati sha'rihi fiddah Ali ibn Abi Talib radiyallahu anhu narrated the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam performed the aqiqah for al-hasan with the sheep we said that the sunnah established that it's two sheep for the boy. And he said, O Fatima, shave his head and give the weight of his hair in silver as a sadaqah. This is one of the etiquettes. This hadith is in Jamia Tirmidhi. And it's one of the etiquettes 
to give the weight of the hair that that to when you shave the boy's head to give the weight in uh, to give the weight in silver. And Ibn al-Qayyim rahimullah ta'ala, he said about the benefit of shaving the newborn's hair, he said shaving his head removes the harm from him, removes the weak hair, so that the stronger and firmer hair replaces it, and it is beneficial uh, for the head. It comforts the newborn, it opens the pores on the head, it strengthens his eyesight, his smell, and his, uh, his sense of smell and his hearing. So there are many benefits that Ibn al-Qayyim ta'ala, he mentioned regarding the shaving of the head. But now the question comes, do we shave the head of a female child? And the scholars of fiqh, they differed with regard to this, the Malikiyah and the Shafi'iyah. They said that the, there is no difference in this between the girl and the boy. And as for the Hanabila, they said, no, it should not be shaved because the shaving of the head always mentions, the ghulam mentions the male child. And as for the female child, there isn't a specific mention for that. Rather, what's mentioned for the female child is the sacrifice of one uh, of one sheep. So the Hanabila, they held this opinion. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Uh, that's something which the scholars differed in. And Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala knows best. Another, uh, another etiquette and another obligation that parents have to carry out for their children in the early days when the child is born is Al-Khitan, and that is circumcision. And for this, we have uh, a hadith from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and it's the hadith of Abi Hurairah radiyallahu an that he said Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam al-fitratu khams or he said khamsun min al-fitrah al-khitan and then he mentioned the hadith he said there are five things from the fitrah and among them he mentioned circumcision and that was the first one that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam mentioned and this is uh, something which is strongly emphasized with, in relation to the boy and it's closer to being from the wajibat and Allah knows best with, in relation to the boy. As for the girl, then it is a sunnah. It is a sunnah and there is a hadith from the hadith of our mother Aisha radiallahu anha in Sahih Muslim that indicates that this is a sunnah for the girl as it, as it is for the boy but for the boy it is, it's closer to being from the wajibat. Uh, Aisha radiallahu anha, she narrated that the Prophet said, إِذَا جَلَسَ بَيْنَ شُعَبِهَا الْأَرْبَعَةِ وَمَسَّ الْخِتَانُ الْخِتَانَ فَقَدْ وَجَبَ الْغُسْلِ If a man comes to a woman and he comes between her four limbs and the two circumcised parts touch each other, then ghusl becomes obligatory. So here the two circumcised parts indicates that both the male and the female would be circumcised. Uh, however, it is a sunnah as it relates to the girls and it is closer to being from among the wajibat or among the extremely important uh, the extremely important matters for the boy. So obviously for the girl in this age, we, are, we have to deal with the issue of what people call FGM, uh, that the mutilation of girls in, through circumcision. And this is something that has no place in Islam and Islam never called to this. The Prophet said, لا ضرر ولا درار. There should be no harm caused to anybody. And he prohibited all kinds of oppression. Salawatullahi wasalamu alayhi and all kinds of harm sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So this is this what people call FGM. This has nothing to do with the religion of Islam. But some parents might have the effect of that in the sense that they might be in a situation where if they were to carry out the sunnah in terms of the circumcision of the female child, they could be breaking the law 
or they could have their child taken away from them in some countries because many countries don't distinguish between FGM and between the circumcision of the girl which is prescribed and allowed in Islam. They don't distinguish between the two because they aren't able to tell the difference and because of their ignorance, they don't know that there is a difference between these two things. So no parent should take that risk if it is something which is illegal or something which is going to get could get their children taken away from them. No parent should take that risk. It is a sunnah at the end of the day. So there is no harm in leaving it for the girl if that is not allowed or if there is a danger to the parent or a danger to the child in that. There is no harm in leaving it for the girl. But it's from the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam if the person is able to do it and Allah knows best. So that's all we have time for in this episode and Allah knows best. Wa salatu wassalam ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaikum. If you're enjoying these videos and you'd like to keep up to date with all of the courses we're going to be running, make sure you head over to amauathome.com.